Okay, we're going to be reading again in Luke chapter 24. We read some of this last week. And we're going to start reading again from verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what he does is he mentions, he, he talks about how he's going to send them the promise. He's sending forth the promise of my Father. Jesus was the one who delivered the promise, but he says the promise was from his Father. And he says that you're going to be clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. And he's speaking of Jerusalem. So before he had had them go up to Galilee, now he has them come back down into Jerusalem. He says, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What he's speaking about, as we'll see in just the next portion we read, is he is speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament, but never in the Old Testament was anyone ever baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what we're about to see is this Holy Spirit is going to baptize them. This is what he talks about. And coupled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit is continually the witness and the power. Witness and power are often coupled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's look in Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. Now, we just read in Luke, now we're going to read in Acts. Luke is a book that was written by Luke. Acts was also written by Luke. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke makes reference to his former book, the book out of which we just read. He says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about that of Jesus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up to heaven. After that, He had by the Holy Spirit giving orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. So you see that He makes reference to the book that we just read out of. He says, that was my first account. So He he has been hired by this man Theophilus, this wealthy man Theophilus, to compose these accounts. So, I guess if you're wealthy enough, you can hire somebody to do research for you and and, and to gather an account. And that's how he he wrote the the Gospel according to Luke. And and, uh, the Gospel according to Luke is the only one of the Gospels that's in chronological order. And now he goes to the book of Acts, again, in a chronological order. And he says in verse 3, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So what he does is he first tells us that in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, so when he rose from the dead, by many convincing proofs, and we've already seen some of those, how Jesus would just enter a room, how Jesus would be with them, and then all of a sudden they would recognize him, and then he would disappear from their midst. Many convincing proofs he showed them. And he, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So he was three days in the tomb, in the, in the grave, on the third day, he rose from the dead, and then there was a period of 40 days. So we know that the Holy Spirit comes to them from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days after the Passover. That's what it means. If you go to Israel today, 50 days after the Passover, they have another celebration called Pentecost celebration. And that's, we see Paul was often talking about how he wanted to get Jerusalem to, back to Jerusalem in time for the Pentecost. You see it in the book of Acts. But since we know that the Spirit comes upon them on the 50 days after the Passover, Jesus dies on the Passover. He's in the ground. On the third day, He rises again. He appears to them over a period of 40 days. And so, it's roughly a week or 10 days after Jesus is saying this to them. Jesus, Jesus rises and, and, and uh, is His ascension that they then receive the Holy Spirit. That's why He says, in verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Meaning that sometime we don't know exactly where in the 40 days Jesus said this, but week, 10 days, 15 days, some, somewhere in that period from the time he spoke this to the time the baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And he, he, he said this to them. He said, in verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. So he again enunciates, this is a promise from my Father that is coming to you. He says, which you heard of from me, meaning that I was the messenger to tell you about this promise from my Father. And the promise is this, that John baptized with water in verse 5, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they ask him a question. Is this when you are going to restore the, the land of Israel, the kingdom to, to Israel? Because that restoration will come. That is something that is promised in the Old Testament that will indeed occur. The question is, when is it going to occur? They were expecting this to occur because now he's risen from the dead, the Messiah is here. But we now know that that's not going to occur until his second coming, which hasn't yet happened. And we've discussed that in detail, which is going to come after the tribulation. This is going to come. And then, but he says, it's not for you to know the times and the epics. So if anybody ever says to you that, that uh, makes a prediction as to when the Messiah is coming again, I guarantee you they are wrong. I can guarantee it. Because Jesus said he's going to come at an hour when no one expects. So if someone is expecting him on that day, he's not coming on that day. And so, so you can be sure 
we, we never know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming, except we know that it's not the day or the hour that people predict. All right? So those are surely the days when it's not going to happen. Back, back in uh, uh, the year 2000, many, many people were saying it's going to happen on, on uh, Y2K, and, 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 uh, and it, it didn't happen. And then he says, he says that, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. That's in verse 8. So that's what he tells them. You're going to be my witnesses. And he, so, so it speaks of power coming upon them and being a witness. And I want to go back to a couple of the promises so we can be reminded of that. If you turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and we're going to look at a couple of the promises that were made concerning this. In John chapter 14, reading from verse 16, it says, I will ask my Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. So here he characterizes the Spirit as a Helper. A Helper. One who's going to help you. And he says, this is specifically for believers. Unbelievers, and, and, and there are examples where, where Paul says to unbelievers, you are always resisting the work of the Spirit. So the Spirit is trying to reveal things to unbelievers, but they're resisting it. But as far as this fellowship of receiving them, of receiving the Spirit, he says he will be with you and will be in you. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer, those who have taken on the Lord Jesus Christ. If we look in the same chapter, in verse 25, John chapter 14, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Ever wonder how the apostles remembered all these teachings of Jesus? Here he says it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He is going to bring to your remembrance the things that I've taught you. That's what He's going to do. He's going to bring it to your remembrance. Now let's, let's turn to uh, John chapter 16. So, so just turn over two books in John chapter six, uh, two chapters. John chapter 16, and we're going to read at uh, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. John 16 verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So, that's interesting. We, we might think, but boy, wasn't it great just having Jesus right there in their midst? I mean, that would be exciting. But Jesus says, it's better. What we have now is better. That's what Jesus said. He says, it's to your advantage. Because when Jesus would leave the room, He was gone. You'd have to chase him down to be with him. Jesus was out praying and looking all over. Where is Jesus? Where is he? But he says when the Holy Spirit comes, it's better. Because he's going to be in you. This is the promise Jesus made. We can believe it. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be in us. Look in, uh, in, in verse 12 of that same chapter. 
John 16, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. So what He says is, there's only so much I can teach you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to be with you. He says, my time with you is short here. But He says, when the Spirit comes, He's going to be able to disclose so much more to you. This is really interesting. This hit me particularly this week. And, and I'll tell you what, what was going through my mind. So you will get, uh, um, you will get a welcoming to my world, to the, to, to the musings of a scientist. So I wrote this article on, uh, uh, it's entitled, Abiogenesis Nightmare. Abiogenesis Nightmare. It is about how, what proposals chemists have put forth for how molecules that are not alive, but how molecules could have been synthesized, four types of molecules, amino acids, carbohydrates, lipids, and, and uh, nucleic acids. Those four classes of molecules, how they could have been synthesized just from some primordial soup. And then once synthesized, how they might come together to form the first living cell. So scientists think about this sort of thing, you know. So I was writing this article at the request of an editor to write my critique of the work that's been done in prebiotic chemistry meaning my critique on, on, on the things that have been put forward, the suggestions that have been put forward. And it's not yet published, but, but uh, in that article I was trying to describe to the reader is, is uh, um, how so much is based in molecules. So that within our brains, so at, first I said, you know, everything we smell, everything we touch, everything we taste, all of this is molecules. It's all molecules. And then I talked about in our brain how every memory we have is embedded in molecules, in a molecular framework and molecular potentials. And then I said, and every thought we have and every emotion is in, molecular and, is in molecules and molecular potentials because our brain is made of molecules. So one person reading this, who I, I sent it to, to to read it, who's a scientist, but also a Christian, he said, oh, so you are a philosophical materialist. He said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but if it means that I, I think that, that everything that in our brains is molecular and molecular potential based, then if that's what philosophical materialist means, that's what I am. And so he was, so, so I really got to thinking about this. And, and so what he was contending was that, was that uh, uh, yes, there are embedded things in our brain, but, but there's a, a constant communal with us from outside of us. And then as a scientist, you know, I was beginning to, to, to uh, react to this, but then I thought, this is exactly how I live as a believer. That God is communing with me as a believer. Now, now say, say I take my cell phone, okay? So you've got a cell phone, and say I'm watching a video on this, YouTube video. All right? So I could, I could disrupt things in here. I could disrupt things in my cell phone that would make that image fuzzy. 
so I could do things to the hardware or the software in there that would, that would mess up the image. But that doesn't mess up the host of the message that's coming. So in other words, you know, my initial argument to him is, yes, we are, we are purely molecular based. Because I could take Mother Teresa, who is a wonderful, wonderful person, just, just amazing. I think one of, the, one of the few real Nobel Peace Prize winners who's really deserved the award. I mean, amazing woman. And, and uh, I said, you know, we could inject within Mother Teresa one milligram. You could barely see a milligram of material and turn her into a psychopathic murderer. So does that show you that we are molecular based? And he was saying, yeah, we can mess things up, but the source coming in is clean. Now, now bear with me, just bear with me, because I've been thinking about this all week. So, God is communing with us. God is communing with us, and he's speaking with us. How does he do this? How does he do this? If we say that, that this Wi-Fi system is, speak, is, is getting it from the Wi-Fi server into my, 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 my iPad here, we understand that, that, that there's RF radiation that's coming. It's, it's an elect, electromagnetic field that's coming into this. But we know it's not electromagnetic field that's speaking to us. So God is speaking to us in a different way. But he does commune with us. This is our testimony as believers, that God communes with us. And this is exactly what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak with you. It's not something that's embedded already in your memory. It's not something that's embedded already in your brain. He is going to come and to speak to you individually. And let me give you, let me share with you a portion from, uh, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because Paul dealt with this head on. I mean, God is communing with us in a way that we don't understand scientifically. And I know this because I've lived this way for about 38 years of my life. I've lived this way. And, and so, so I know that God speaks like this. God teaches us. God informs us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reading from verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul says, when I came to you, Corinthians... I didn't come. I'm not a great, eloquent speaker. That's what Paul said. Paul even spoke about this in other portions. He said, you know, I have these weighty letters, but when I come to you, you see I'm not a very impressive guy. That's what Paul said, said to people. They said his, weight, his letters are weighty and strong, but in person there's not much there. And so if you think that, you, you know, you just don't have this commanding presence, well, welcome to the life of Paul. And I have felt this many times. I remember this was this, this woman that, that was our realtor when we moved to Houston and she was so impressed and she was just so, you know, so amazed at this position that I had. And she told her husband about this and, and she built me up so much to her husband. I remember when I finally met her husband, this is what he did to me. He went, <laughs> just look up and down me with an expression like, is this it? And I was like, this is it. This is all you got. That was Paul. Paul wasn't impressive in the flesh. And he says, there was nothing in me that was impressive in the flesh. I didn't come with superiority of wisdom, proclaiming to you 
the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's a great thing to remember. A lady wrote to me, I want you to speak with this scientist friend of mine and tell him about the Lord. I said, you tell me where he is, I'll go and talk to him. And uh, I'll do that for you. I, hardly, I, I don't even remember this lady. She said we met many years ago. And she says, but it's got to be you to talk to him. He invented the electron microscope. Okay. And, uh, um, and, and, and he's, he's not doing well and you've got you've to go and talk with him. I said, okay. And then she went on and on and on about all his accomplishments and all he's going through. And it, finally, I wrote back to her. I said, I can't keep up with your cryptic emails. Enough. I get it. He's a smart guy. That means nothing to me. Regardless of whether he's smart or famous, I will come and share with him. It is great to be free of this, that we don't just go and preach the gospel to those who are smart or those who are rich. In fact, the gospel, in fact, asks us to go and present first to the downtrodden and the weak and the lowly and the poor. That's what it first sends us to because that's what Peter told Paul. Peter told Paul, remember the poor. Paul said that was the very thing that I was wanting to do. That's what he says. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in verse 3, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's what he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Have you ever felt inadequate for what you are being called to do? Teach a Bible study? In a career? In a job? Have you ever felt inadequate? Welcome to the world of walking as a believer. It tells us in, 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 it tells us in, in Corinthians, it's just before this, it tells us that God has chosen the base things of the world, the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen us for this very reason. It is because we are weak, because we feel inadequate, that He's chosen us. It's not for our strength. He said, I've chosen you specifically because you're weak. So I can confound the world by taking the base things of the world. That means the ones in the basement. And confound the things that are wise. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Did you ever have a task where you had to go, you had to teach a Bible study and your, your knees are just shaking? I've been there. Where you're trembling and you're like, where's the Holy Spirit? He's in you. He says, I was with you in trembling. That's Paul. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. You think that, oh, Paul was this great, you know, great wisdom and great words. No. He says, I demonstrated to you, I came in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And later on, Paul says, I don't care about a man's word. I want to see his power. Will we walk in the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit that he grants to the believer? And you call upon God and you say, Father, fill me with your power. I don't have an explanation, a scientific explanation on how he communicates with us. He's not using electromagnetic radiation as we know of. The whole EM spectrum is there. He's not using that. And you know how we know that? Because you can, you can be at the bottom of the sea in a submarine and talk to God. And it's very hard for EM radiation to get through salt water. You can be surrounded by lead 
And EM radiation doesn't get through lead. But you can commune with God. That's how I know it's not in the EM spectrum that we deal with. These are, these are the things that I think about. <laughs> but he communes with us. He speaks to us. This is what he does. He says, and what he does is he fills us with power again and again. The Holy Spirit, it says, comes with power. Power will come upon you. There were some men in a room praying and scared. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They came busting out of the room and started preaching in Acts chapter 2. What took them from being scared in that room that they were going to get arrested to standing openly and preaching without fear? It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that fills us with power. There was this debate going on between two people, a Christian and, and an atheist. And, the, and, and every time the atheist was speaking, the Christian was writing. The Christian was, was writing. And they went, what was he writing this whole time during his debate? And they went up and they looked at the paper and all it said is, more power, Lord. More power, Lord. He just kept writing over and over again, more power, Lord. This is what great men do. They cry out for more power. They cry out for more power. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He fills us with power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Have you ever felt inadequate? Like, I got to go and speak to all these smart people? Well, just remember, you don't have to have the wisdom of men, but the power of God is what will move through you. I have seen this over and over and over again where I've been put forward in front of people and I feel wholly inadequate Holy with a W, inadequate. <laughs> but God gives us power. In verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What he says is, I give you wisdom that the world doesn't have. When you are a believer, you have access to wisdom from God that the world does not have. You say, that's it's such pride. No, it's not. it's not. What I'm saying is nothing in us. It's external to us. It's God who comes and fills us fills it within us. This is what the Scriptures teach. If we walk in faith, He fills us with this understanding. Verse 9, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Do you see? Through the Holy Spirit, God communicates with human beings. He communicates in a way that's wireless, but we don't know quite the mechanism by which it's communicating. There is a way that He communicates. I don't know how it is. It is in a realm that we don't understand right now. It is by a mechanism through which we don't understand. If you took a cell phone 200 years ago and, and, people, and, and, and you had them looking on an iPad, there's no way. How is this happening? Is there somebody inside there doing this? I mean, how is this happening? But now we understand how this can happen. But as far as this, where we are now, we don't understand how He communicates into our brains with us and speaks to us. But He does. He has a mechanism by which He does this. And He says, 
that He has revealed these things through the Spirit. The Spirit searches the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, so that we may now know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. If you're not a believer and you've never had the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, the Holy Spirit quicken your heart, you read a passage and it just comes alive in the Scriptures. If you've not ever known that, this seems like nonsense to you. And the Scripture testifies of that. The natural man doesn't accept these things. They say, bah! I don't accept it. Does not accept these things. But let me tell you something about that natural man. When that natural man experiences pain in his or her life and the loss of a loved one and the world crashing around, they often come to the believer for help. This is what I've seen. Those who hold themselves up as being the strongest and the toughest that they don't need any of this and this is all a bunch of nonsense. When the world breaks them down, then their hearts begin to come open. So don't walk in pride. He says the natural man doesn't understand this. They are foolishness to him because he cannot understand them. He has not the ability. He's never had the Holy Spirit speak to him because they're spiritually praised. But the one who is spiritual appraises all things that he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is what it says. We have the mind of Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit, he gives you the mind of Christ. The depth of the Spirit increases as we walk with Him, and it's easy to have... The, the, the Spirit is characterized in the Scriptures as a dove. You don't find a dove on a battlefield. You don't find a dove on carrion, on dead animals. There's a way that you can be that increases... You walk in obedience, you read the Scriptures, you pray, it opens you up more and more to the Spirit when you commune from God. There are ways that if you walk in disobedience, this dove is not leaving you in the sense of losing your salvation. You're never going to lose your Holy Spirit. That is the mystery that's come upon us in the New Testament. But what will happen is, the sense of His presence and the communion with the Holy Spirit will go when you walk in in disobedience. Pride will do the same sort of thing. Laziness. No private prayer. These things will break the communion of the Holy Spirit. If you have no private prayer, you will have a hard time being instructed by the Spirit. Now, we have to continue to walk in humility because I'm really careful about this thing that, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, the Holy Spirit told me to do that. You won't hear me saying that very often because once you put a word on it, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, then nobody can speak into your life because God has spoken. You have to do it. Keep it to yourself. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, just say, I had a thought that, I had an impression that maybe I should do such and such. It's the way you word it. Because I know I can hear wrong all the time. You know, I think there's going to be a parking space right around the corner. I know it. I turn around the corner, there's no parking spaces. 
So obviously the Holy Spirit was not speaking to me. It was my own mind. And our own minds can speak to us. That's why I want you to be careful. Not that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak. But I don't want you to willy-nilly go throwing the term around because now you're really boxed in and you're going to look like an idiot when it doesn't happen. You know, one young man, I was trying to hire him and he, and he told me, you know, he, he was dropping out of school in, in, uh, in, in computer and applied mathematics and I, and I told him come and work for me. He says, well, you know, I prayed and the Holy Spirit told me that I, sh- I, sh- I should uh, stop with a master's. And it was like, you know... Once the Holy Spirit has told you, I can't tell you anything, but let, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit has never spoken to me that clearly that they said, you are to drop out of school with your masters. Never said that. Never said that. And sure enough, he didn't. He came and he did his PhD with me and he's thankful for it. So you, you see what I mean? You want to be careful about this sort of thing. Not that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, but let that be between you and the Holy Spirit. And have this private walk with Him. And be careful how you say it, because you can exclude yourself from, from, from being able to ever back out of this thing. And, uh, uh, but the Holy Spirit communes with us, He fills us, and He speaks to us. He brings power, He takes us in our state of weakness, and He makes us strong. He takes us from our state of trembling, and He gives us power to walk. He gives us wisdom that goes beyond the things of men. Beyond the things of men. And then you will hear things dropped in and, and uh, it's like Gideon. Gideon was just trembling and so weak and God called Gideon aside. He said, Gideon, I want you to hear some things. He sent them down at night to the enemy camp and he heard two of the enemy guards speaking. And they were terrified of Gideon. And Gideon is like, me? They're terrified of me? I mean, I'm nothing. God had him hear this. It's interesting, the things that you will hear, that God will drop in to reassure you, to reassure you, that He has filled you with strength, He has filled you with power, and the anointing is there. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the Word of God, and for the truth of it, that Your Holy Spirit communes with us, communes with our minds, speaking to us the things of God. The natural man does not receive this because it's spiritually appraised. He cannot understand it. But Lord, to those who have named you as their Lord, who have accepted you, who have said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, they have the ability to understand. Lord, I pray for these young people that they will walk more in the communion of the Holy Spirit more in the communion of your ways. The grace of God, fill them, I pray. Draw these young people to your Son. And Father, for the ones here who do not know you, Father, I pray. For the ones that think that these things sound like foolishness, Father, draw them to the feet of Jesus. That they would pray this day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me. And that they would come to an understanding and a belief in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, draw the unbeliever, I pray, by your mercies. And Lord, I thank you for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen.